Welcome to episode number 43 of Become a Guitarist Today with myself, Adam Roach. So in this episode, I talked to Chris Buck from the band Buck and Evans from the UK. So he was actually voted the best new guitarist of 2017 in the Total Guitar magazine. He's also shared the stage with Slash and Richie Blackmore. And also he shares a lot of stories about what he's done and a new album coming out really soon. Now, before we do go to the interview with Chris, I just want to quickly thank my sponsor, Living Music Marinesboro. Now, Living Music actually have a a special on at the moment on the the Martinez MDC 15S Cop. They've got 30% off at the moment, so do yourself a favour, check that out. I've put the link in the notes where you can have a look at the, the, the Facebook site for Living Music, and you can see all the information there about this guitar, which is a beautiful, beautiful guitar. Living Music sells and services all styles of guitars, keyboards, drum kits, recording equipment and more. Everything a muso needs. Call or visit us online at livingmusicstores.com for a great deal on all the big brands or to arrange your music tuition today. Now before I do go to the interview with Chris, let's have a sneak peek of one of the songs coming up on his album called Slow Train. Like I said, amazing player, really good feel, and yeah, I just really like the tone of his playing and his choice of notes and the way he gets in and out of the notes. So it's so really is a great player. So I start off this interview by asking Chris what he's actually been up to for the last couple of months. April has just been absolutely insane. It started off I was in Copenhagen, then I was in Amsterdam, Frankfurt, Italy. I've done like a year's worth of traveling in the space of about the past three weeks. So well. it's. Uh, <laughs> Been a bit mad, so I think I'm yeah, do a do a trip up to London, I think. So. Yeah. So is that all with the band, the, the travelling? Yeah, well, the Copenhagen thing, bizarrely, was to pick up a guitar. Um two Danish brothers got in touch with me about about a year ago, I guess, and said, We've come across you online, we want to build you a guitar. Yeah. And I got like, okay, what's the catch? And they said, No, we just we just want to build you a guitar. We don't <laughs> we don't even mind if you don't use it publicly. So you know we type, you know, got the Yamaha thing going on, yeah. that kind of stuff, but want to build you a guitar. Well. Um so my missus got wind of this and started dropping hints going, Copenhagen's very nice. And I was kind of like, okay, I can see where this, I, mean, I was expecting a you know, DHL delivery in the door, but we, uh, yeah, it was lovely. We went across for about three days and picked it up. It's, yeah. it's a gorgeous guitar. I'm having it set up at the moment. So, and then the Frankfurt thing was playing at, um, it's a big musical trade show called Music Mesa, okay. which I think is kind of like the European answer to NAM, you know, yep. um, that kind of thing. So yeah, Buck and Evans, the band, were all playing at that, and then I've been teaching at a thing called Guitar Breaks in Tuscany for the last week, oh, right. um, which was uh, yeah, as fun as it sounds, really. To be honest, lots of food, lots of wine, and all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, it's been uh, been an interesting couple of weeks. So looking forward to five minutes at home, to be honest. But, yeah, no, that's really um, good. So yeah, I thought we'll get started with how you very first got into guitar when you first started. That's all right. Yeah, it was it was a funny one to be honest. It was a case of I. As you only can when you're about 13, 14, I had a best friend slash arch nemesis um, who was, you know, my kind of, my driving inspiration to be better at whether it's football, rugby, or whatever Josh did, I wanted to do. And Josh took up guitar, so I took up guitar. And he was taller, he was better looking, he was faster, he was, you know, 
better than me at pretty much everything else. So I saw guitars kind of, you know, this is not based around athleticism. I'll give this a go to see if I can be better than him. And lo and behold, I think he gave up within the space of about six months. So I kind of won by default, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it also coincided with math lessons. You know, I realized that the lessons I was having in school coincided with math. So it was, you know, win-win, get out of maths and be better at Josh, be better at, you know, at something than Josh. So yeah. it was it just, I said it before, but it's the only thing I've ever done in my life where I felt like there was a, a, you know, a natural level of aptitude of some sort, you know, it just mm. kind of felt right and it clicked and, you know, just felt like the only thing that I ever felt good at. So I just kept going and here I am still keeping on going, I think, so, yeah. but uh, whether, whether it still feels natural or not, I don't know, to be honest, I've lost sight of that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Doing it full time though for, for a while now. Yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, part of kind of two, three years, I guess, really kind of, you know, become a full time thing. It's funny, I had a comment on uh, one of my YouTube videos the other day, someone saying, oh, I love your videos, hoping to go full-time with guitar soon. And I kind of was reticent to kind of put a comment and go, well done. I was, uh, maybe, you know, don't deep, you know, dive in at the deep end just yeah. yet. Kind of feel your way in a little bit because it's, uh, it's a strange old work to try and do as a living, to be honest. It's um, fits and spurts. And, you know, like I said, the last month has been a crazy amount of fun traveling, doing all this kind of cool stuff. And then who's to say the next three months won't be absolutely dead, you know, and you kind of scrape at the bottom of the barrel to try and get some stuff to yeah. pay your rent. It's an odd one, but like I said, I can't can't do anything else really, so I've got to keep going with the guitar because I literally am not any good at anything else. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, that's the reality answer. The, the rock and roll answer is, yeah, I'm the rock star. So. Yeah, it's, it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, I just listened on the way up here. Um, the, the single, Run Cold. Oh, Run Cold, yeah, yeah, yeah. That song is funny. Funny you should mention that we're just finishing off the final mixes now for our first album. Mm. Um, that's one of the songs which is very much on the brink of you know, does it make the final cut or not? Oh, really? We recorded, we recorded the first version about about two years ago, I guess. Yeah. Um, had a kind of very good response to it, but I think in terms of where we are kind of at musically now, it's probably a little bit, a little bit heavier than we've kind of been oh, in the okay. past sort of two years. But um, yeah, it's one of those songs that always gets a great reaction live. So who knows? We're gonna, gonna. Um, I think you know, the longer you work on an album, the more the more you lose sight of what's actually good and what's not. To be honest, so I think it's it's one of the tracks that we've recorded. So I think uh, give it out to a couple of mates and get honest, you know, yeah. unbiased to pick back on what's actually good and what's what's a steaming pile of uh, proverbial. But um, yeah, so that's one of the ones that is currently sat well and truly on the fence. So I'll, I'll take that into consideration when we can when we yeah. consider it. Oh, hopefully it makes it. So, no, it's a great song. So I had looked on um, Apple Music and you know, oh, some, cool. some of the tracks on there, and that was one of the ones I checked out. And just her voice in it, it sounds great. You know? and she's, yeah, she's, uh, I don't tell her that too often. She's struggled to fit her hands with the door, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> no, she, she's got a good set of pipes. She's, um, the whole Buck and Evans thing was very bizarre from the off, to be honest. Um, I played a gig once with Sally Ann. As a kind of last minute, she gave me a call, you know, if I was available, I got up and jammed with her. And I'd known her prior to that, primarily as a promoter of gigs. You know, mm. she, she booked my old band, played a venue a couple of times, and I got her knowing through that, but didn't have any kind of vaguest, you know, inclination that she was a singer. A couple of her mates kind of said, oh, you want to hear Sally Ann sing? And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. We all, we all sound great in the shower, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and then she gave me a call, you know, jump on this gig with her. Um, and she just kind of blew me away by how good she was. And then about a year after that, I guess, I had a phone call asking me to do a gig in London. And I was in between bands at the time. I didn't have a singer. So I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this, but it was kind of panic stations, to be honest. And just quick, who can I find to sing for this gig? So I rang Sally Ann. Um, and we knocked up maybe kind of 35, 40 minute set just to get through this one show. Mm. 
And just the response off the back of it was phenomenal. And that's also the reason we're called Back in Emmons. We've got two much miserable members who were not made, named, obviously. But it was literally Back in Emmons to get through that gig. It's obviously Sally Ann Emmons. And it just kind of rolled off the back of that. And that was in April 2013. And by August, we were out in Arizona as the full band, as Slash's backing band. So yeah. it all kind of, it escalated very quickly, should we say. So it's, um, yeah, it's still just a case of it keeps rolling off the back of that. And to be honest, we're all in perpetual amazement at the response to this band because it's, you know, there's a million reasons why it probably shouldn't work in all reality. <laughs> but it's just, you know, the longer we keep doing it and the further we keep going, the more people seem to love it and, you know, turn up at gigs. So yeah. I'm not going to come. Well, I was going to ask you about the, the Slash thing. How did that come about? Well, when I was about 15, I guess, maybe even younger than that, I started sticking videos of myself on YouTube, just playing guitar in my bedroom, just for, you know, an escape from revision for 10 minutes, I think, um, looking back. But bizarrely, um, a guy called Alan Niven stumbled across them, or his wife, more to the point, stumbled across them and got him to take a look. And as a massive Guns N' Roses fan growing up, I knew, you know, Alan's name and I knew his connection. And basically, he was Guns N' Roses manager from... 86 to 91. I think the first ever gig he did with them was, you know, was a kind of CDLA club band. Mm. Um, and the last that he ever did with them was Wembley Stadium. Mm. So, you know, he kind of took them through on that kind of stratospheric journey. And obviously, having read voraciously every bit of Guns N' Roses info I could get my hands on growing up, I very much knew his part in the story. Mm. And just had this email off him, just kind of saying, good play, keep it up. Really curt, kind of, you know, one line kind of thing. And I just made sure I kept in contact with him and picked his brains at every given opportunity just to try and not make the the same mistakes that everyone seems to make, you know. So, yeah. and here we are, probably I guess ten years later, and he's still, you know, he's managing me now. And and you know, to me, was kind of drip feeding videos of me to Slash, you know, mm. and it all culminated in a phone call one day off Slash, saying, you know, what are you doing on this date? Do you want to come up to Birmingham and play with me? So I had to cancel my plans of washing my hair, but I went out <laughs> and jammed with him. And um, <laughs> no, it was such a gracious, lovely, you know, kind of humble guy. Not. Not at all what I was expecting, to be honest, and not that I've ever read anything on the contrary, but you read everything that he's been through and all that kind of stuff, and you expect a little bit more this gregarious, you know, kind of extroverted rock star who's kind of everyone's friend, but he's such a quiet, introverted, you know, kind of almost introspective kind of guy. He's really thoughtful and just incredibly sweet. So, yeah, I will owe a lot to Slash. So, yeah. it's, uh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So you still talk to him these days? Yeah, just, you know, I'll, I'll drop a text every now and then or I'll have a text off him wishing me a happy birthday or something like that. He's just, you know, and there's a million and one things Slash will be doing rather than texting me saying happy birthday. Yeah. But um, just it's just the mark of the bloke. He's just incredibly humble, incredibly, you know, just down to earth, which given yeah. he's one of the most recognisable people on the planet, I guess, is, yeah. Um, yeah, something, you know, a feat in itself to still say that way. So Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So you said you grew up on his music as well, did you? Yeah, I was a massive Guns I think Guns N' Roses were the first band that I really kind of latched on to growing up. You know, they were kind of my band, you know, and I, at some point in my life, I owned every bootleg that I could get my hands on. There, so, yeah. so just voraciously devouring anything I could get to do with Slash. So I think, again, that was part of Alan's grand plan with me is to kind of wait, you know, keep drip feeding Slash stuff of mine, but wait until I'd stepped out of the, the mini Slash mold, I think, which for a while I undoubtedly was. I think, you know, you were young, impressionable, and just want to kind of emulate heroes. And yeah. you know, for the longest time, I most like Les Paul into a Marshall, <laughs> uh, and just trying to be Slash in every respect. And I think Alan 
saw this and you know kind of waited till I'd found my feet a little bit more as you know maybe as Chris Black and less as you know Slash Part Two and stuff. Yep. Uh, and then obviously that, like I said, all culminated in a phone call asking if I was going to jump back with him and do a blues jam. And looking back, I'm incredibly grateful because I think any sooner than it was, and I think I probably would have been trying to out Slash Slash, which is never <laughs> going to end well. So. <laughs> Biggest Guns N' Roses fan in the world growing up, I don't yeah. know anything about it. I mean, listening to your playing now, though, I mean, you, you wouldn't say that, you know, you couldn't really hear, oh, yeah, he's a Slash fan, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's strange. Every now and then something will creep in and I'll kind of feel myself doing something and it's very obvious where that's come from. But, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, parallel to Guns N' Roses, I was a big Stevie Ray fan, so I guess, you know, that kind of more blues thing kind of crept in and my old man is a massive Clapton fan. Um, Clapton was the first gig I ever went to. I went to see him um, in Birmingham back in, oh man, I wouldn't even know what year it was, maybe 2012. Mm. Um, we, were, we were sat in a different postcode to Eric. We were sat about three miles away, but the back, but it just left a, you know, indelible mark on me. But yeah, so parallel to GNR, I guess there was the Stevie Ray thing, there was Clapton, there was yep. uh, Thin Lizzy were a big big band for me growing up. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff running parallel in Guns N' Roses, so maybe that's crept into my playing as well. And I mean, you only really find your own voice by trying and failing to sound like your heroes. I mean, ultimately, as much as I maybe wanted to be Slash or sound like Slash, I was only ever going to sound like Chris Black because that's who I am. You know? Yep. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, you find your own voice just through trying and failing to sound like your heroes, I think. So. Yeah. Well, it's definitely worked. I mean, you got the, um, what, the best guitarist in 2017, Total Guitar Magazine. <laughs> oh, that's- Albatross, isn't it? So you're doing something it's, right? Oh, it was. To be honest, that's still a perpetual amazement. I mean, it's it's guitar. It's not gymnastics. You can't put a number on these things. But just to even be nominated in there in the first place was a little bit surreal. It was um, a mate sent me a link. All these enemies when you've got mates who text you going, I think there must be another Chris Buck because one of them's <laughs> been nominated in this, uh, in this category. So I had a text and just checked it out and genuinely was just a little bit kind of dumbstruck with the fact that anyone would include me in such a thing. So. You know, it's and then to go on and win it, you know, it's just a bit of a, a bit of an odd one. I mean, you know, I never, I didn't really get into guitar for the kind of plaudits in that respect. You know, I got got into guitar to be a rock star and be rich and famous. But um, no, it's it's just all a little bit surreal to be honest. But um, yeah, I think as long as people are cool with the fact that it's just a title and it's not indicative of real life in any way, shape, or form, I'm cool with that. So, yeah. <laughs> It's a bit of an albatross, otherwise, around my neck. So yeah, well, I mean, it's good that it, you know, it shows you you are appreciated and you know, people yeah, like your style. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I've, if on any level it just shows that people are kind of digging what I'm doing, I'll, I'm, I'm happy with that. So. Yeah. Now, going back to your YouTube channel, so you're still doing that? Is that like a regular thing you do with the um, what's yeah, it called? The free I, no, the Friday fireworks. Friday Friday. Yeah. It, to be honest, I've been. My other half had been nagging me for ages to kind of make a more regular thing of the YouTube thing. And mm. you can get so focused on... It was funny, at this Guitar Breaks thing I did recently, I was having a chat with Ariel, Ariel Posen, who was the other guitar player I went with. He yep. plays with a fantastic band called The Brothers Landreth and does his own solo stuff. And he's just an unreal player. I was saying I spent a week in Italy having my arse handed to me by, uh, by Ariel. It's just mm. otherworldly good. But his kind of social media thing is very much Instagram based. He yeah. does Instagram incredibly well, gets ridiculous amount of views. And I've always struggled with Instagram. And no matter how much effort I seem to put into Instagram, it just doesn't seem to kind of come back to me. Yeah. Whereas Facebook, you know, I'll put a video on Facebook and it will get shared a couple of hundred times and that will work well. And, you know, you'll see some kind of recourse from it. But so I kind of find myself putting so much effort into Facebook. And like I said, my other half was kind of giving me grief saying, 
put a little bit of stuff on YouTube, keep the YouTube stuff going. And I really should have done it a lot sooner than I have been, to be honest. But I just thought, well, there's so many kind of people doing, you know, whether it's pedal stuff or whether it's, you know, all, just all manner of guitar-related stuff on YouTube. It's so saturated with that these days. Yeah. I probably should I mean, I did about 10 years ago, to be honest, <laughs> at the forefront of it. But I just thought, let's, let's give it a go. Let's do Friday Fretworks. And the whole point of it is just, it's just anything guitar, you know. I get a lot of questions on a daily basis of people asking me how I do this or how I do that. And it can be anything from, you know, kind of more nerdy kind of uh, pedal-related stuff mm. and up to, you know, I, I saw you playing this lick. How do you do that? Yeah. So I just, it's a little bit of an outlet to kind of, you know, explain some stuff but actually accumulate a little bit more of a kind of maybe a long-term fan base because, you know, Facebook's fantastic for the time mm. being, but who's to say it's not going to be the next MySpace or it's not going to be the next Bebo or whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> social, social media platforms very much come and go, but YouTube seems to have been uh, consistent. So, yeah. yeah, I'm making an effort. Last week was the, the first week, actually, in about half a year that I missed it because I was out in, uh, out in Italy scoffing my face with four courses of food every night. But, <laughs> um, yeah, back, back to the grind this week, so. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So you... Do you, like, you're playing them out or you just like whatever comes up, you just do it for the videos? Yeah, to be honest, I've kind of been, up until this point, being entirely reliant on people's suggestions and just mm. seeing what people want. People, you know, thankfully are very quick to comment and say, oh, I would love to see you do this. Or, you know, I've seen that you use this pedal. Why do you use this pedal? And, you know, it's probably stuff that could be covered, you know, covered in one very lengthy video, but it's nice to kind of put it out in little bite-sized chunks. And yep. especially, I think, with the regularity of it being once a week, people kind of expect that. And it almost, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of that pedal show. I'm a big fan of, you know, Andertons and all that kind of stuff. And it's something to do in your downtime, you know. When you're sick of playing guitar, you can watch someone else play guitar for five minutes. So, yeah, yeah um, I think people come to expect the kind of, you know, the regularity of it. And come 5 p.m. GMT on a... On Friday evening, they know you know my ugly mug will be popping up on their, on their phone. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's going well. You know, I kind of uh, keep it going, and I've made a pact with myself to at least do a year of them um, yep. and see how it goes off the back of that. You know, and if I'm still if I'm still having ideas thrown at me, I'll keep on going. If if I've run dry, I'll I'll give it a whiff for five minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So we just uh, talk a bit about your style and your playing. So mm. just before, do you mind if we just have a little bit of a jam on a little vamp and absolutely get that going all right so i'll do a little one in c sharp minor to f sharp minor cool okay so it sounds a little bit something like this So now, yeah, just a bit about your technique. So the one thing that I, I really noticed is um, about your sliding in, out into the notes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you tell us a bit about that. It's, it's a weird one, to be honest. That kind of developed, again, I guess, as most things do develop over time, just through 
kind of wanted to try and sound a little bit more like vocalists, I guess, and less traditionally like guitar player. Um, you know, I'm a massive fan of vocalists. I've grown up listening to a lot of soul music, so like Otis Redding is a big one for me. I think Sam Cooke probably had the greatest voice ever. You know, a lot of guys who are just renowned for their kind of tone and phrasing, and you know, a lot of which aren't necessarily even guitar players. So it's kind of if that's come from anywhere, it's come out of a, a place of wanting to try and emulate that that freedom, I guess. I mean, as we were saying, it's if you're singing a melody, you don't just hit maybe the four or five notes of the melody. You mm. hit you know, the million kind of uh, permutations of the microtones in between and all that kind of stuff. If you're sliding into a note or if you're kind of, you know, falling off a note down to another note, it's so much more of a free, fluid way of approaching things as opposed to just just look, literally looking at it as notes on stage, you know. Um, so mm. it's that whole wanting to try and emulate that freedom and, like you said, that sort of bending thing. Mm. Um, if it, Anyway, that sort of... Sort of. If that's come from anywhere, it's just from a place of trying to sound less like me and more like, oh, it's running. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I mean, that's the main thing that I, when I heard you playing was that's, mm. that's the thing I picked up on the most is your ability to go in and out of those notes from sliding or bending anything to make you, you know, sound like a vocalist, I guess. Oh, cool. Oh, thank you very much. That's, uh, that's high praise, you know, that whole... Yeah, like you said, it's just trying to sound a little bit more free and less less confined to the sort of boxes that, you know, as guitar players, we kind of find ourselves getting stuck in every now and then. Yeah. Um, just, you know, that kind of freedom that you would associate with great vocalists and, you know, even great guitar players, you know, but just trying to take it to another level and step outside of my element very slightly, so... Yeah, and I guess that's what really um, got me too, is like you... You do have your own style, you know. You, like you, you can oh. tell. Like as soon as I listen to you, I guess once I hear the album as well, I'll be able to say, "Hey, yeah. there's Chris." You know. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you very much. No, that's honestly that's high praise. That's um, like saying you do gigs and you get people coming up to you at the end and kind of saying, "Oh, I love that bit there. What scale was that?" And it's just, you know, that's great and it's very well intentioned, but it's not the reason I got into guitar playing for and. If people are kind of picking me out, you know, of a of a lineup and identifying it as me through my style, that's very very cool. That's uh, I can go go to my death happy, man. No yeah. no time soon, obviously, but no. uh, yeah, I can I can uh, live happy as long as people can identify me. So yeah, oh, definitely for sure. No, that's really good. Do you have any favourite Clapton songs? Oh man, do you know what? I I put up an Instagram post the other day on his birthday because. Clapton gets so much heat off people for kind of having having kind of settled down, I think, probably post-1970, really. Mm. And obviously, they got into the kind of Delaney and Bonnie stuff and then went into the whole kind of country thing. And for me, he kind of came came back around a little bit, circa Forever Man, you know, that kind of, um, that 80s kind of revival he had. And one of my favourite Clapton albums, aside from, obviously, the big one for me was the Beano album, growing up, like Stepping Out in particular, a big one for me growing up was the blues album he did in, I don't know what year it was, it must have been in the 90s, um, from the Cradle. It's kind of blues, mm. sort of like revival album. And there's some fantastic tracks on there with some incredible, not only incredible playing, but some incredible singing. I think Clapton kind of often gets sort of overlooked as being a kind of vocalist because he's known as this kind of guitar hero. But for a man who's sort of self-admittedly spent the better part of his career trying to sound like Steve Winwood, I absolutely love Clapton's voice. I think it's such a rich 
textured sort of idiosyncratic voice is brilliant mm. um, but on that album this It Hurts Me Too is a gorgeous track I think that's an old Elmore James track but yeah just to be honest any of Clapton's more more full on blue stuff I think to be honest is is more recent stuff that I'm not a massive fan of but as I put up on this Instagram post the other day you know there's enough fiery playing in those couple of first albums alone and incredible guitar playing incredible songwriting to pretty much have given him license to do whatever the hell he wants for the rest of his days. If he wants to play standards now and chill out, play a, you know, a give old, big old Gibson jazz, you know, jazz body kind of thing, then he's he's earned the right, I think. So. Yeah. And actually, uh, going back to your album as well, with the mm. with your solos, um, I'm guessing there's solos on there? Yeah, there yes. are. <laughs> <laughs> However much they try and knock them out, I mean, they still pop up every now and then. Um, so do you try and pre-write them before the studio or you just improvise it's a weird one they kind of fall in between I've, I've definitely hand on heart never written a solo in my life and I wish I could say that was through some kind of musical ambition to be free but it's just through laziness I think through anything else to be honest just through never actually wanting to sit down and actually put the effort in but the thing is the you know the cool thing about first albums and the reason that to be honest 99% of the time my favorite albums my bands are their first albums is that they kind of, they developed over the past however many years that band's been together. And, you know, with Buck and Evans, we've been going about three, four years, I guess now. And a lot of these songs have been in existence for those three, four years. And we've been playing them live in that time. And we've been jamming them in, you know, in rehearsal, all this kind of stuff. And inevitably you start to see a little bit of an arc throughout a solo, you know, where even if the stuff in between is a little bit different, you know roughly where you want to start and where you want to finish. Mm. So as much as I've never written a solo, there are solos that, if you came to see us live, would probably sound a little bit like they do on the record, <laughs> just because that's the way that they've organically developed over the past X amount of years. So I don't like the idea of sitting down and writing a solo. I can see why people, certain people do do that and you know, the reason they do that. But for me, it's a case of just wanting to kind of not really confine myself to anything. And if I if I stumble into a new territory that I hadn't you know discovered before, I'll, I'll go with it and see where I end up. And... Most of the time, it's in a part of town you wouldn't want to be in. But, um, you know, it's just, it's, you know, giving yourself a little bit of creative license and freedom just to go wherever the music takes you. And how, how pretentious does that sound? So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sounds great. Um, so, <laughs> so when are we expecting this new album? It's, it was a funny one. We've, we did the whole Pledge Music thing, um, which simultaneously has been an absolute blessing. An incredible blessing and a bit of a curse in that we now have a couple of hundred people breathing down our necks, um, asking us what we're doing, at what point the album is, and, you know, when it's going to be released, and all this kind of stuff, which is is great. And I entirely get it. You know, they've been good enough to put their hard-earned cash up for us to basically fund the album. But mm. um, the reason we did that, we we did a couple of high-profile festivals over the past sort of two three years, I guess. And inevitably, off the back of that, you get a little bit of interest off not only public but label. Um, the industry starts to pay a little bit of attention and it's only when you start getting multiple contracts put in front of you from different fairly large labels in our case that you kind of start to realise what sort of state the industry is in and it's really not in a good place at the moment and I don't know whether it's an arrogance from labels but it's that kind of assumption that they can still make the same demands of a band that they were making 20 years ago and you know labels are in no position these days to be making those demands because there's no guarantee of success not that there was ever a guarantee of success but i think labels used to wield a lot more power than they do now you know there's so many bands self-releasing great music and making a real splash with it i think labels are far from obsolete but they're kind of headed in that direction you know mm. um, so i think it was a little bit of a wake-up call for us to have all these contracts put in front of us and realize that 
you know, it's really not a great situation to be being in. Giving so much of your music away, and and not that you know, not that the money is the be all, be all and end all kind of motivation for this stuff. But you've got to live, and you've got to, you've got to get to a point where it's viable mm. to a second album. You know, there's so many bands out there, maybe on their third, fourth album, haven't seen a penny from any of it yet, and it's kind of like, well, who are you making the records for? Are you making them for the public, or are you making them for yourself and your grandmother? You know, it's <laughs> I've not got any aspirations to be a millionaire from this, but it's just it needs to be viable, and it needs to be. Unfortunately, it needs to be done from a, a stance where it makes sense business, you know, from a business point of view. And I think if we signed our lives away to any one of the labels that had come forward, we probably wouldn't have been in a situation where it made sense for another 25 years or so. And mm. It's just, you know, it's an odd situation. So we, we've been lucky enough, you know, we've gigged and toured quite a lot around the UK and Europe. And we're lucky enough to be in a situation where we have a very dedicated fan base, you know, some of which were more than happy just to kind of, jump on a plane and come and see us, you know, in whichever far-flung country we're playing in. You know, we've been incredibly fortunate in that respect. So we thought, well, let's use those guys. And you sounds a little bit kind of um, use and abuse, I guess. But just utilise those guys to to really fund the record and see if they want to pre-order it or see if they want to go that one step further and have us play in their living room. Yep. Or if they want to, you know, kind of buy a, I don't know, a signed drum skin or any of those kind of cool things. And that's basically what's funded the record and it's put us in the studio and you know it's meant that we've kind of been able to take our time on it a little bit and get it to a standard where we're happy with it so mm. like i said it's a simultaneous blessing and a curse because it's given us this freedom and given us a, a license to do what we want without a label breathing down our neck but now the label has become the people who pledge because they are very much giving us uh, giving us jet to see when it's going to be out so <laughs> the plan is to get the the pledges first sort of satiate first and get that get those guys taken care of for everything they've ordered. Yeah. Um, and then and an, you know, an official release, maybe summertime, June, July, August, in that kind of round. Oh, um, and basically just give ourselves ample time to really make sure that this first album makes a big splash. You know, There's so yeah. many bands everywhere who have released albums today, you know, probably before I've even had my breakfast, you know, a huge <laughs> amount of albums have been released that you know, we'll never get to hear about and we'll never get to even know existed. And it's such a... A sad thing for you know for a band to put so much effort into an album for the, to then be released and disappear in the ether as quickly as it appeared and mm. you know it, it needs to make more of a splash than that if you're gonna you know like I said if you're looking at making it viable long term it needs to be a, a sustainable kind of thing which is you know the unfortunate business head that you have to kind of wear being a musician these days to be honest when I picked up a guitar and first learned to play a G chord I didn't really see myself you know considering marketing plans and business <laughs> structures and all this kind of stuff but it's if you're going to go it alone, it's something that you definitely need to consider. So yeah. it's, uh, it's a boring world, but it's one that I find myself immersed in. So, yeah. <laughs> so have you got any um, big pledges you'd like to shout out to? Yeah, absolutely. There's, to be honest, I mean, anyone put their money in, you know, their hand in their pocket in order to pledge the album. But there's one or two in particular, this um, couple called Dave and Vicky, who, as I mentioned earlier, very kindly flew over to Spain to see us um, mm. in the summer and then had us come and play in their living room. Uh, there's a lovely woman called Joe had us come up and play in her living room again and travels the length and breadth of the country to see us wherever we're playing. Um, you know, she's quite far up north where she lives, but she comes down south to see us quite a lot and then she's been up there, been all over the country to see us, you know, they're incredibly mm. dedicated and that's just indicative of, you know, our fan base in general. We're incredibly fortunate that they are as willing and as dedicated as they are. So, yeah, it's... Um, forever in, in their, you know, in their gratitude, really, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I know this is going to be a hard question to answer, but 
what would you say the style of this album is? It's a weird one. I think one of the things that's been attached to us in the past is rock and soul, which I'll gladly accept, um, purely for the fact that it sounds very catchy. Uh, but it's it's a kind of it's a good one, I guess, in that it kind of does encapsulate what we're about. Mm. Um, you know, a, a variety of influences within the band. Obviously, myself coming from inevitably more of a guitar kind of background, I guess. Um, Sally Ann is a big gospel fan. You know, kind of people like Mahalia Jackson or. More recently, people like Josh Stone, I guess, you know, any kind of number of great soul singers. Uh, Bob, our drummer, is the consummate classic rocker, you know, grown up listening to Rainbow and, you know, Matt Posey Powell fan in particular. But then even Bob's, you know, kind of influenced the stretch further afield with Buddy Rich and those kind of guys. But, and then Dom, our bass player, falls anywhere in the middle of, you know, anywhere from Iron Maiden to uh, Tori Amos, you know, he's mm. incredibly athletic pace as well. So if, if it sounds like anything, it probably sounds like the, the combination of our influences, I guess. Yeah. Fleetwood Mac are a big band for all of us, you know, especially kind of rumours you were Fleetwood Mac, that kind of the big three-part, four-part harmony kind of thing. Mm. But, you know, within the context of brilliant songs, and not that I'm putting our album anywhere near on a pedestal and have to be competing <laughs> with rumours anytime soon, but we've tried to make it very much about the songs. And guitar solos are great, you know, but it's it's songs that endure, and it's songs that you'll yeah. hear on the radio in 30 years' time, 40 years' time. Mm. You know, guitar solos are the kind of icing on the cake within those great songs if they happen to have them. So, yeah, yeah song-based record, but, you know, stylistically, I guess, think maybe Fleetwood Mac meets Hendrix, maybe. Okay. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I heard the song that rung cold, I thought I heard of um, a heart in her vocals, really, the way yeah, she sang yeah. that. Sally, Sally Ann's a big Anne Wilson fan. That's, oh, is she? Uh, definitely okay. something that's come up in the past. She's... Uh, as I was saying earlier, the, the whole kind of run cold thing for us is one of those tracks that we've recorded and may or may not make the cut. It's kind of probably a little bit heavier than we probably are these days. I mean, mm. that was recorded about two years ago, I guess. And yeah. it's, it's very much of the time for us and we were kind of finding our feet a little bit and that was released uh, simultaneously with a track called Slow Train, which will definitely be on the album. And I think Slow Train is probably more indicative of the, the direction that we've gone in, you know, more... Probably just a little bit less heavy, I guess. You know, as soon as you start releasing heavier stuff like that, you kind of get pigeonholed into the whole class, the sort of the classic rock genre, which yeah. in the UK actually can be a little bit stagnant. You know, mm. without putting my foot in uh, in my mouth too much, it's a little bit of a kind of a small clique of people who kind of you know are very quick to kind of pigeonhole you and associate with other bands and not so grandiose, but I guess we've got slightly bigger bigger visions than you know the the usual kind of classic rock roots, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where the album takes us because I think, you know, we've got a very clear vision of the band that we want to be um, yeah. and it's just getting the getting the public's perception to align with that. So yeah. be interested in what comes. So. Well, hopefully it brings you down to Australia. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, was, I would absolutely love to come to Australia. I think uh, there's a there's a preconception about Australia that there's everything crawling in a cylinder that wants to kill you. <laughs> uh, but the very fact that you are still alive tells me that's nonsense. So I... Uh, <laughs> Um, I shall definitely, we'll hopefully be over sooner rather than later. So we'd love to go and play in Australia. So. Yeah, that would be excellent. Um, so yeah, so if oh. you do have any sponsors you want to mention? Yeah, definitely. That's a whole kind of rabbit hole in itself. I mean, I've been lucky, you know, pretty much from a very early point in my quote-unquote career to be supported by a couple of amazing companies. Blackstar, um, spring to mind, you know, I guess I was one of the first guys that really jumped on with Blackstar not long after a point when they were 
you know, people forget because Blackstar becomes such a big name. I don't know whether it really reached, you know, kind of Australia that much yet, mm. but in terms of Europe, they're quite a big amp name now, definitely competing with, you know, the bigger boys, so to speak. And it wasn't all that long ago, really, that they were two guys in a shed in Northampton kind of knocking out hand-wired amps. So um, Blackstar have always been very kind to me and very quick to make sure there's always an amp waiting for me wherever I need one. Yamaha as well. I've just been out in Germany representing Yamaha at Music Massa. So again, mm. Yamaha can't do enough for me. I've been incredibly fortunate. Ernie Ball, um, you know, Radio Shock pickups, obviously, plug, plug. I've got my own signature <laughs> strap pickups. But um, I've been incredibly fortunate with, you know, to work with some fantastic companies who are very quick to kind of be helpful and be lovely to me. So, yeah, big shout out to them all. So. Yeah, cool. No, thank you. No, well, thank you very much once again. I really appreciate no, it. No, honestly, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, you know, been been a joy. And like I said, I, you know, a lot of the press stuff that we do with the band tends to be more band centric. So it's nice to have a self indulgent half hour every now and then. So <laughs> just talk. So yeah, it's it. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, but no, definitely hope to see you down in Australia and uh, get the album down Absolute, here. Absolutely. No, thank you very much, Adam. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> thank you, Chris. So I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Chris. So definitely check out the, the links below and have a look at the, what Chris has done and also his YouTube channel as well. And I do have a, a few different guests coming up in the next couple of weeks, which have to be finalised hopefully in the next couple of days. So stay tuned for that one. So don't forget, if you do want to find out who's coming up on the podcast, you can also go to my website, becomeaguitaristtoday.com. That's where you can check out all the other podcasts and everything else about what I have available, including my book. And I do have my album, Distractions, from the band Boy Cried Wolf, available for free. So you can download that one and let me know what you think. So please do send me an email, and I look forward to chatting you real soon. So until next week, keep jamming.